Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for discussion about an issue that most of us have experienced of in one way or another, drinking problems. According to the National Health Service in the UK, about one in every 13 people in the UK is an alcoholic. Uh, according to the NIH, the National Institute of Health, 15% of the people in the United States are problem drinkers, and about 5 to 10% of male drinkers and 3 to 5% of female drinkers could be diagnosed as alcohol dependent. According to the World Health Organization, there are about 140 million alcoholics in the world and the majority of them will never be treated. Drinking, when it becomes a compulsion for a person and taking precedence over other activities is a problem not only for the person himself, but also others around them. Um, many accidents are correlated with are alcohol-related, uh, domestic abuse, including child abuse and spouse abuse, uh, work-related problems, and even suicide are often alcohol-dependent. I am myself a child of an alcoholic mother who drank herself to death when I was young. And unfortunately, most of us have some kind of experience with friends or family or children where alcohol becomes more important than life itself. So today we're going to have a look at how an ACT therapist approaches people with an alcohol or substance abuse uh, addiction. And remember that ACT is built on three components, opening up, becoming aware, and engaging action. Our guest today is Dr. Kelly Wilson. He is a professor at the University of Mississippi and one of the co-developers of acceptance and commitment therapy. Kelly is the author of many ACT books, but one particular uh, book called The Wisdom to Know the Difference. And this is an ACT workbook for overcoming substance abuse. This book is available at Amazon.com. But you can also read more about Kelly and his work, his other books, but also this particular book on his homepage, which you can find by clicking on Kelly's name on this week's program on webtalkradio.net. So today we're going to discuss about alcoholism, how we define it, and Kelly's going to show us some different ways of how to approach this using ACT. Welcome, Kelly. Uh, uh, it's uh, good, good to be on. Good to be talking with you. Kelly, um, 
could you tell us something about we, the listeners are always interested in the in the human being behind the researcher and the professor. What what got you interested in addiction? Uh, well, I I come back uh, you know come by my uh, interest in addiction and its treatment uh, uh, pretty uh, naturally. Um, of course. There's hardly anyone whose life has not been uh, touched by alcoholism and addiction, as you pointed out. Um, but, you know, my work as a treatment development um, researcher and a scientist is really kind of uh, the end point of uh, um, my attempt to become a two-year certified drug counselor gone awry. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so in 1985, I um, began my own recovery from uh, about a 15-year history of uh, pretty much daily uh, gross intoxication on one sort of substance or another. Hmm. Uh, it was a it was a, a trail uh, that um, left a lot of uh, damage in uh, my relationships uh, and, you know, to the people around me who cared about me. Hmm. Wow, that's, a, um, that's, that's an incredible experience for you as a, you know, now as a professor to be able to look back on that and, and, and to use that to understand uh, the complexity of this problem. Well, I think... Uh, there is something to be said for um, having multiple perspectives on the things that uh, that you study. I'm not recommending that anyone go uh, become an alcoholic to become a better alcohol uh, researcher. Um, but if you have it in your history, um, it's it's worth taking advantage of the perspective that it that it gives. I certainly um, I get it. Uh, in uh, in ways that I think are sometimes very very perplexing to you know people who have not suffered in this way themselves. Yeah, and also you have gotten out of it because I I don't know uh, the prognosis actually, but it's probably not so great, right? No, uh, people were not betting on my survival in the 1970s. <laughs> um, I, I I spent uh, you know the 1970s you know an IV drug user and um, you know you know just uh, people would ask me you know what was your drug of choice and I'd say you know which year with which month mm-hmm. and you know a lot of uh, my old run buddies. Um, you know, have a home in the graveyard these days. Uh, mm. a, few, a few of us made it through, but um, it 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 was a, a very dangerous uh, dangerous way to live. And I count uh, my blessings uh, every day that I uh, managed to survive it and to put it to use. Uh, yeah, yeah. To- Kelly, you know, one of the things that I think about, you know, which is painful for me to be a child of an alcoholic is. Uh, and I think you and I have talked about this in terms of ACT, is that actually when a person chooses the drug or the alcohol over life, um, this is what for me is painful as a child, you know, choose where a mother would choose alcohol over her children or, you know, what you may have chosen over your relationships. Uh, that's what for me it seems to be the most painful part of 
Yeah, it you know it is one of those things that is incredibly perplexing to people who you know watched it happen. Um, uh, I would say though that it's very often very perplexing to the person who's engaged in it too. Um, I think from the outside, people you know would make the judgment, well, this person just doesn't care about these things, um, and sometimes people judge themselves in that way. Um, but I have just seen so many people just sort of racked with guilt. And mm. if they really didn't care, they wouldn't care that they didn't care. Right. And, and you know, what I find is, uh, you know, I've found over the years is that um, what happens with people's values and the kinds of, you know, things they really care about in life is that sort of in the heat of the moment, um, those things um are lost to them you know they're sometimes obscured sometimes um you know like if a dog gets hit in the street and you go to move it out of the street it'll bite you and it isn't because it doesn't like you or anything Mm. like that it's just this kind of reflexive sort of thing and sometimes it's like that Mm. sometimes it's people living inside sort of stories about themselves Um, And I know I spent many years living inside of a sort of a story that people were really better off without me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if I was gone, their lives would be better. And um, and it turns out I was just wrong. I was was wrong. (laughs) I'm glad I lived long enough to find out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you did too, Kelly. So if we... We're going to move on to the, in this program and to, so we can listen to, uh, I know that, you know, you've been working with this for a long time. So, and I know you've been following, uh, so you, we often hear that alcohol is a disease. Can, can you explain what, what is meant by that, that alcohol is a disease? You know, uh, I have a sort of a love-hate relationship with the idea of alcoholism as a disease. Um, when it first you know, showed itself on the scene, um, you know, the medical community declared alcoholism to be a disease, and it had some good effects. And one of the good effects was that we moved from, like, alcoholism as, like, a moral failing uh, uh, to a medical uh, disorder. Um, it, it, But there's a kind of a downside to that um, also. Uh, and And... Some behavioral folks have complained that it sort of disempowers people in a certain way. You mm-hmm. know, like they they say, "Oh, well, I have a disease, like I can't help it or can't do anything about it." Now, mm-hmm. I don't uh, think it uh, necessarily has to do that. Um, I mean, we wouldn't hesitate to say that diabetes is a disease, but there are things you can do. Yeah. You know, if you're a diabetic, to manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether alcoholism is a disease, it's, it's widely held, especially in the United States, it's a widely held idea that alcoholism is a disease. In fact, amongst uh, scientists, uh, that is a very, very controversial topic, and there mm-hmm. are a fairly large number of scientists who simply disagree that it is a disease. Um, you can find all kinds of behaviors that people engage in uh, in ways that you know, ultimately cause them harm and cause their families harm. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, I was a, you know, like client, like I'm sure there are people who have climbed mountains like Mount Everest and things like that, you know, who have like wrecked their families you mm. know, because 
insisted on, you know, and lost toes and fingers, but we wouldn't say that they're mountain climbing gaholics. <laughs> no. Look and and like, you know, you know, try to find a disease there. Um, it's definitely can be a problem. Now, it, it depends what you mean by a disease. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, one thing is you mean like uh, like like cancer is a disease or measles is, mm-hmm. is a disease. Uh, the other way you could mean it, though, and really the way it's described in the Alcoholics Anonymous texts, mm. for example, is they say it's like a disease. Okay. And they call it malady. Um, and, and it, it, you know, that is uncontroversial. I mean, everyone thinks it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, not everyone thinks it's a disease. Okay. If we, if we go on to, uh, I know that, you know, you were talking about, you said Alcoholic Anonymous and it, many of the programs you hear, like like AA and also 12-step program, uh, require total abstinence. So what does the research say about you know this as compared to controlled drinking? Well, it, the total abstinence issue is at least as controversial as the disease issue. And, and in fact, most people think that AA is you know the originator of the disease concept. In fact, they're quite circumspect about that. Um, and they also think that um, uh, AA, you know, holds some opinion about whether you know, um, you know, people can moderate. In fact, a text says if you think you can moderate, go ahead, give that a try, try it more than once. If it works out for you, okay. If it does work out for you, you might want to come back and give us a try. Um, what the science says, uh, um, I think, is you know, best read on it is that um, people certainly do um, have moderated drinking outcomes, including some people with significant um, alcohol problems. Uh, however, the likelihood that you're going to have a good moderated drinking outcome uh, becomes uh, smaller and smaller, uh, the you know uh, larger and more long-standing the alcohol problem is, and and if you look at the scientists who are doing moderation-oriented treatment, they'll even tell you that mm-hmm. people with very high levels of alcohol dependence and long-standing alcohol problems um, have very 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 low success rates um, on moderated drinking outcomes. Okay. Okay. So, so Kelly, if we move on, on to how uh, I act and in your new book about um, the wisdom to know the difference, um, how does ACT appro- approach addiction and particularly alcoholism? Well, a couple of things and relevant to the two things we just talked about is one of the things that I talk about specifically in the wisdom to know the difference is that as who's interested in recovery, you don't have to sort this stuff out. You can leave that to the scientists, whether alcoholism is a disease or not. The other thing I spend a fair amount of time, and I think this is consistent with the ACT model, is that we don't start off with the idea in advance that if you have a drinking problem, you have to abstain forever. Um, You know, inside the ACT model, deep inside of the model is the idea of workability. Mm -hmm. And so people need to abstain or not, they can find 
inside of their own experience. Like, and if we can help people to sort of show up to their own experience and, and, you know, take an honest look at, you know, how their own drinking is functioning in their lives, that ultimately their life will them whether a moderation outcome or an abstinence outcome is best for them. I start from wherever the client is. Okay. So if you think of the one of the um, core ideas in ACT is about experiential avoidance. Would would an ACT approach towards drinking be that actually that the actual drinking is an avoidance? Uh, I, I think it's, it's often a... Uh, alcohol is a, a wonderful sort of a mood manager, and I think that that is true for problem drinkers and is true for non-problem drinkers. You know, if you're a little nervous at the party and you have a drink or two, you feel a little more comfortable. Um, and for the overwhelming majority of people, that's not a problem, you know, um, uh, because it's not persistent and it doesn't interfere with the way their lives function. But for a certain number of people, um, uh, it it becomes a lifestyle, you know, managing mood uh, through alcohol, and it includes both managing um, negative mood and, um, uh, you know, you'll also find people who are sort of chasing the high and mm. ch- uh, positive mood. You know, when you start to live your life according to, you know, insisting on either having some positive mood or not having some negative mood, it's mm-hmm. a uh, treacherous uh, uh, path to undertake because there are just so many things that will make you feel better but won't allow you to live better. Okay, so so this would bring us into the role of acceptance and mindfulness um, in recovery. Would how would how would you, what would you say about that? Uh, you know, it has been. Uh, uh, drinking a lot for a long time and has cultivated, for example, some physical dependence or even psychological dependence. It's certainly going to be the case that when they let go of that coping strategy, their minds are going to start talking to them and telling them about how tomorrow would be a lot better day to get started on this. Or just, you know, one glass of wine certainly couldn't hurt anything. And, uh, and, uh, you know, they are very, very likely to experience physical symptoms. You know, if they have some uh, physical dependence, they're incredibly uncomfortable withdrawal symptoms that uh, might accompany it, that might go from anywhere from feeling a little agitated and having difficulty sleeping all the way to, you know, seizures and, and uh, re, you know, really strong uh, uh, physical responses. A person um, on we think needs to practice and cultivate mindfulness and acceptance um, in order to um, hang in there through, you know, what is very often uh, a rough ride. Okay, so let's let's see, Kelly. Would you be willing to to be a therapist so we could watch how you would actually uh, briefly just show how you would start approaching if I if I were to role play. Uh, say that I'm a, a young mother uh, of children and uh, um, with a drinking problem. So, I see you coming uh, to me. 
um, with concerns of, about uh, drinking in your life. And I wonder if you could just help me uh, to get uh, some sense of, you know, why, you know, what brings you here, you know, up against. Well, uh, I get scared. I get scared um, that my children will be taken away from me. Uh, I, I get scared that um, that uh, I will harm them. That uh, I, you know, I I I believe myself to be a loving, caring mother, but then when I look at myself, I'm not acting that way, and it really scares me. I mean, I really uh, I, I I could actually harm my children. You know, I hear the sort of rush in your uh, voice as you uh, speak to me, and I want to invite you to sort of um, slow down just a little because um, I hear your concern in there, and I don't want to move uh, past it or through it uh, too quickly. Um, so, you know, what I hear is in, in, in some ways... Uh, you know, your concern uh, about your ability to be a mother to your own children and the ways that alcohol is uh, interfering with that. That's what I'm afraid of. And you've seen some of the effects of that. Yeah, I have. I, 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 I have fallen down. I have... Uh, I I I think that you know I um I I just don't know what's going on when I I sometimes I I just drink to relax a little bit because I'm so tired but uh, uh then I, I've fallen down I've gotten I've I've called people that I said things I shouldn't have said I've screamed at the kids. Tell me this, have you ever um, stopped drinking for a period of time? Yeah, I, I've tried to do that, yeah. And, and, and obviously, like, because you're coming to see me, um, you've kind of bumped into something that, that has taken you back into drinking. Could you give me, like, a little bit of a sense of that? Like, the last time you stopped, how long did you stop for? Well, well... I've ha I have people around me, like um, my own mother, who has confronted me with this, and and also um, um, my husband had told me that you know that I had I had to get this under control, but he's left now, and when he left, there was really, uh, yeah, it felt like no more reason to. I felt sorry for myself. I felt I needed some comfort. Mm -hmm. So, so it sounds like you've stopped for a period of time and um, that at some point in there, uh, some sort of relief is sort of the only thing that makes sense. Does it seem like that just sort of takes over? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that uh, I've lost, uh, I felt like I've lost so much that I need a, just need a little bit of... Uh, I mean, I, ha I really have nothing, so that's something I have for myself anyway. You know, one of the things that I hear in here is, and you have your hand very near something that is 
going to be really important in our work together. It's that you can sort of feel this the kind of dig, this sort of pain, the sort of relief that's available in that drink. Um, but at the same time, you also sort of um, have a sense of where it takes you. Yeah. And that sort of short-term kind of little room to breathe. And I don't mean this, I don't mean to condemn you on this. Um, I know what it's like to, you know, feel like you can't even get your breath. Um, but one of the things that's going to be really important for us is um, cultivating a way to practice um, so that you can sort of get a little bit still before you act on that short-term sense of relief and um, make contact with, you know, the things that you really um, care about over the long term. And I don't mean this like um, in a sort of a shaking your finger at yourself like you shouldn't drink, blah, blah, blah. You know, if that treatment mm. worked people it would you know there wouldn't be any alcoholics you know there wouldn't be anybody with drinking problems because there's no shortage of people out there shaking their finger at people. <laughs> that's right so this isn't about that it's about it's about bringing those two things into the room at the same time that sort of knowledge that a drink will give you a little bit of peace and the knowledge at the same time uh, that, you know, you can voluntarily set that down for a moment in the service of something uh, that you care more about. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. You're, you're, a, you're a fantastic therapist. <laughs> I, I wish many people who... Uh, with this type of problems could come to somebody like you. You have certainly have a lot of empathy and compassion. You can feel that in the tone of your voice and the way you respect people. So thank you for showing us that. It's my pleasure. Uh, so Kelly, we're getting towards the end of the uh, the program. I'd like to ask you just a, a couple of questions. Uh, one is that uh, many of our radio listeners might, might be themselves or have family members or friends who may go to 12-step or AA. And I wonder if how ACT could be used in combination with these programs. Well, I think that um, ACT actually has a, a, some very, very good compatibilities with 12-step. It's not a perfect fit by any, by any means. Um, but but there are, are a lot of things like a, a you know focus on uh, acceptance and a focus on workability and a focus on valued living that are very very consistent. And there are some people who just can't stand AA, um, and uh, you know I really you know I wrote the wisdom to know the difference kind of uh, and tried to write a that kept the door open uh, for people. Um, to, you know, a pretty pure sort of approach to recovery, 
Um, but there are sort of sections in that book where I talk about the fit between act and uh, 12 steps. So it's the places where, you know, acceptance um, overlaps between, uh, uh, you know, these two approaches, the places where holding overlap between these uh, two approaches. And uh, I also have a section in the book called um, but I hate AA. <laughs> and what I do in there is I kind of work through some of the really common um, obstacles people have to um, uh, using programs like AA. Myself, if people are open to it, I like to see people use these programs because they provide a lot of really great free available resources. And I understand that it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and that what the second thing I wanted to ask you is what general advice could you give if people were, are feeling that maybe they are having some problems with drinking or substance abuse or families or friends? What what advice could you would you give them? Well, it's uh, you know there's no shortage of condemnation out there, and uh, uh, sadly there's a fair amount of uh, treatment out there that is incredibly confrontational. Um, I think from an act, the kind of advice that I would give, um, you know, the kind of thing we try to walk people through, um, you know, in the book and in our work more generally is to ask people to um, settle in enough um, to take a look at um you know, their own patterns of drinking and what those costs are. I mean, I, you know, in my own book, I say, you know, each person has to decide this on their own. You know, there is no on average for me in particular. You know, averages only matter for populations. For particular people, they have to make these choices on their own. Um you know, and I also, well, one of the things that I also do is I encourage people, like, a, like for example, that book is aimed at abstinence outcomes. I advise people, go to the moderation management website, give it a try, you know. Um, I tell people, go to uh, uh, the Rational Recovery uh, websites, or Smart Recovery is a terrific resource, and, you know, to look into some of these different approaches and, you know, start to explore that. Um, I think as people begin to educate themselves and expose themselves to these um, kinds of sensibilities, that they're more likely to, you know, find uh, non-condemning, non-confrontational um, uh, ways to look at their own alcohol use patterns and, and you know, make choices for themselves. At the end of the day, it, it's the choice that the individual makes for themselves that, that really matters. Okay. So that sounds like a self-compassionate way of of acting towards yourself. I think so. I okay. think so. Well, thank you very much, Kelly, for being with us today. My pleasure. You've been listening to Dr. Kelly Wilson, who is a professor at the University of Mississippi and one of the co-developers of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Kelly is the author of a new book called The Wisdom to Know the Difference, which is an ACT workbook for overcoming substance abuse. You can read more about Kelly and his work 
and this particular book and other ACT books by clicking on his name, which will take you to his home page. So just click on Kelly's name on this week's program of webtalkradio.net. Today we've learned that substance abuse is another way to avoid feelings we don't like. And the effect of a short-term relief is very powerful, even though we know well that it causes so many problems for ourselves and those around us. So instead of using substance to help us feel good, and avoid feelings, uh, we may be better off getting on a path that helps us to feel good or to get better at feeling. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.